0: Hello and welcome to the Indie Jigsaw Show, hosted by myself, Fiona McGregor and Marlene Halliday for Scottish Independence Podcasts. This episode is called Welcome to Scotland, and we'll be looking at how welcoming are we? Do we live up to our aspirations to be an open and welcoming country? And if not, what can we do better?
1: So welcome to another edition of the Indy Jigsaw Show. This one's called Welcome to Scotland. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, just how welcoming are we here in Scotland to those people from all over the world who come here either as um, asylum seekers, come for a job, but you know coming from another country. They want to make their home and their work here in Scotland. Our main guest is Elena Whitam. Elena was the deputy leader of East Ayrshire Council until recently. Last year, she was um, elected to Holyrood and she's the MSP for Carrick, Cumnock and Doon Valley. We start off talking to her about a recent debate in Holyrood about the UK Borders and Immigration Bill and not to give anything away here because you probably know this already. But Holyrood voted not to give consent to that bill. So in the the first uh, snippet we have with Elena, she's just telling us what the background to that was and how that all came about. I'm really looking forward to uh, showing you that interview. But before that, Fiona, do you want to tell us about the other snippets?
0: Yes, Saturday in Glasgow was, well, many other places across the world were taking part in the UN Stand Up to Racism Day. And so in Glasgow, there was a demo and a a rally in George Square. So I was there helping Independence Live with live streaming the event. We're going to have a roundup of some of the speakers. There was about 20 or so excellent speakers. Obviously, we couldn't show you them all, but we Mm. just picked out a little representative sample. Uh, so we've got four speakers and a little bit of footage of the march entering george square so enjoy that we'll come back and we'll join elena of course we know that on a podcast you're not going to be able to see that march coming into george square but i think you can get a little bit of the atmosphere just from listening to the sound And if you'd like to watch the clip, it's only a minute or so. You can watch it, along with other clips from speeches from this podcast, on our Indie Live Extra YouTube channel. This is Amar Anwar, Scottish lawyer and activist.
2: Ordinary people across Europe have reacted with compassion to the plight of Ukrainians, yet we have a racist Tory government that draws arbitrary lines between Syrians, Africans, Afghanis, Ukrainian refugees that one day tells us that politics cannot mix with sport that one day tells us we cannot fly Palestinian flags and the next day these leaders drape themselves in blue and yellow In 2015, Europe's leaders screamed about a migrant crisis against the 1.4 million refugees fleeing war in Syria. Yet the same countries have absorbed two million Ukrainians within days. No rubber dinghies, but free tickets on the Eurostars. What is the difference? Europe never had a migrant crisis. It had a racism crisis. Three-year-old island Cardi was not the first child to drown needlessly on Europe's doorstep. Thousands of refugees are trapped in Ukraine But there are also many island Kurdis who continue to die in our water. Across Europe there are 11 million empty homes. Fill them with the homeless. Fill them with any refugee, whatever colour they are. If you want to root out racism, if you want to root out racism, then dismantle that brutal regime of border fences, of detention centres and deportations. Deal with the killer cops who act with immunity. Deal with the racists who strip church of black school children and nor should we absolve our own politicians knee deep in the blood of thousands drowned by Europe's border controls While Boris Johnson, wines and dines, Saudi crown princesses for more arms sales and oil. We need to harness the spirit of Kemyo Street. Those moments when a community came together and said these are our neighbours Let them go. That moment I still remember when I stepped into Priti Patel's deportation van and the door was open to two Indian men. And I said to them, you are free because of the people of Glasgow. That power of the people rests in every community, in every city, in every country to fight for freedom. That should give us hope. It should give us hope that one day our children will have a future when their lives are lived by the Stephen Lawrence's, the Imran Khans, the Chris Donnells, the Simon Sand, the Ivor Sheikhs, the Sheikh Ubayos, the Fazard Dags, and all the Island curdies that they will be commemorated for the lives that they lived rather than lost. Thank you.
0: The next speaker is Rubina Qureshi from Positive Action in
3: Housing. Uh, 20 years ago, our charity set up Room for Refugees, a refugee hosting network in response to the government failure to provide shelter to destitute refugees under their forced dispersal programme. A handful of volunteers took part in that programme and took people into their homes. We were told that we were fools and we shouldn't be taking refugees or asylum seekers into people's houses and that we were creating risks. Today, And since then, we have provided shelter to over 4,000 refugees, 16,000 fully registered hosts, people who are offering space in their homes, and we've built an online platform capable of matching host families with people in need. Over 500 refugee organisations refer their most vulnerable uh, asylum seekers refugees to our organisation. They include the British Red Cross, the Scottish Refugee Council, Freedom from Torture, well, that's 500 organisations and it was built up over 20 years. This refugee hosting network was pioneered in Scotland and I have to say something, it really upsets me to see that even the Scottish government has never celebrated the fact that Scotland pioneered Room for Refugees with 20,000 hosts. Has never! Yeah. We're part of a worldwide movement that we are committed to building a modern day Underground Railroad of dedicated people who are defying the indifference of governments to the global refugee crisis by lending a helping hand to men, women and children. So that programme has helped people through the destitution crisis for asylum seekers from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Iran, from Eritrea, from Yemen since 2002. We've helped people during the park in tragedy in 2020, the Syrian refugee crisis in 2015, during the Afghan crisis in 2021, the Serco evictions in 2019, and now the Ukraine crisis. These are refugees, but we're concerned about the UK government's Homes for Ukraine sponsorship scheme on an industrial scale, the UK government has gathered 156,000 signatures and expressions of interest and goodwill from members of the public. They've asked you to volunteer to provide homes in there. And only now the government has admitted that only a tiny fraction of those people will ever see a Ukrainian refugee. Not only that, not only that, instead of Uh, gathering people's signatures. They've ignored every refugee hosting network in the country. They haven't spoken to refugee organisations. And unfortunately, and I have to say it, because you have to call it out, the Scottish Government is now um, on an industrial scale gathering signatures from people. It's got one step further in that they're saying they will connect you to refugees. But the expertise for that lies with charities. And we would not encourage you to go and give your names and your personal data to government organisations to host Refugees, because there are networks already and there's a pioneering network called Room for Refugees and if you just go onto the website you can register. These organisations should be bringing in refugees, whether they're Ukrainian, whether they're Afghan and I hope that this programme is going to be in place for the Afghans, for the Syrians, for the people from Yemen, for the people from Iran, for every colour of person that needs to come here because the truth is brothers and sisters, only a tiny fraction of the world's refugee population actually wants or needs to come to the UK. We're not all desperate to come here. And that's what we need to remember. We've had people turn around and say, I will only take a Ukrainian refugee, not any other nationality. We've had people say, I will only take a Ukrainian orphan. So what do you want? Do you want their mother and father dead in order that you can take? This is not about you hosting. This is about people's lives depending on being able to get into this country and host refugees. So thank you very much.
0: The next speaker is Hamza Yousaf who of course is MSP and Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care.
4: It's easy to be downhearted because of what we see day in and day out. But then I come here and I'm reminded that in the worst of times we see the best of humanity. And you are the best of humanity. And this square represents the best of humanity. And this city represents the best of humanity. And when I think about this square, I think about decades ago when the British establishment was calling Nelson Mandela a terrorist the people of this city went just a stone's throw from here to what was then St George's place where the South African apartheid consulate was based, and they changed the name of the street and it remains to this day a testament to that great man Nelson Mandela and it remains a testament to you And our forefathers and our foremothers who took on racism in that day. And when I get downhearted and when I feel despair, I remember when I stood here, when we were seeing pictures of Syrian refugees drowning, washing up their lifeless bodies on beaches, and the West, and I say that in purposefully and and on purpose, when they turned their back on those refugees. We stood here, I remember the day and it was, it was, I was going to say pissing down the rain, did I say that? Is that unparliamentary? It was raining, it was drinking, it was, it was it was absolutely drinking and we stood here and we said to those refugees and all refugees, you are welcome here and this is your home. Yeah. So I want to leave you with that message as difficult as times are, as downhearted as you can be, remember it is in the darkest of nights that the lights shine the brightest and you are those lights. And I was sick to my stomach when I saw Michael Gove suggest that when it comes to refugees and immigration that somehow the UK has been, in his words, a generous country. Go ask the Windrush generation if they feel that this country has been generous. Go ask those in Dun if they feel like this country has been generous. Go ask every person that has seen a go-home van whether this country is generous and go ask anybody but anybody who has been a victim of the hostile environment whether or not this country has been generous. Let me end by giving a message to our Ukrainian friends whether you have been here for a day or for generations let me just say that this country is your country that we want you to feel welcome here that your loss is our loss your tears are our tears your suffering is our suffering and I am so proud of every single person in Scotland and right across the UK that has opened up their hearts and their homes to those refugees because it is the right thing to do. But of course, does it not expose once again the institutional racism of the British government? Where are the homes for the Afghan refugees? Where's the £350 a month? For the Syrian refugees. So let's say it loud, let's say it clear, whether you're white, whether you're brown, whether you're black, whether you're Syrian, whether you're Afghan, whether you're Ukrainian, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Jew, whether you're Christian or agnostic, you are welcome here and Scotland is your home.
0: The last of our speeches from the stand up to racism demo comes from Rakia Suleiman, who is the chair of the Black Members Committee at Unison. And what a fantastic speech she gave. Here it is.
5: I want you to look at your right hand side and see what you see. You see a human being. When you turn to your left, you see a human being. There is nothing like racism. We only have one human race on the planet. It's a man-made world. I want to wake, let's wake them up. It's ignorant behavior. It's lack of intelligence. It's lack of ideology that they have. They've been built on their own mind to divide us. I can see people from, with a darker skin, with a, you know, a pale skin, with a beautiful skin. We are all beautiful together. We are all one human being. Racism is the most dangerous virus in the world when you were born no one told you how to treat other people different because of the color of their skin it is a disgrace that people become so dumb go home and tell them shame on them i want everybody to say shame on you shame on you shame on you do you You know why we have said them shame on them we are stronger than ever the government the individual, the community, who think because of people's color of skin, you're going to treat us differently, we will stand shoulder to shoulder and we will fight it every day until I stop breathing. I originally come from Nigeria. Where I grew and come from in Nigeria, we don't talk about the color of skin. We talk about your kindness, your compassion, your ability to love every woman. How do you go to your bed and sleep when you know you make other person different and treat other people differently just because of their skin color you've ever seen animals or cats or dogs all come in the same color no there's a reason why the nature make us in different species because it's beautiful when i look at the variety of human in front of me nobody is the same we're all different therefore we have the ability to make a change we make a change In our own way we speak to other people, we make a change the way we treat our children and bring them off on how to behave and stop calling people names. How freaky would it be today if you come in here and everybody's like me, you'll be freaking out, isn't it? I am a proud woman, why? Because nobody gives me any definition that because I'm a dark skin color, I should be feel lesser. Nobody tell me that the person that's a pale white skin you feel lesser. It's a man-made world. The world racism is not made by nature, it's a man-made world to divide us. We will not let anybody divide us. I say shame on you and thank you very much. God bless you all.
0: Hope you enjoyed those clips. If you want to see them, they're all going to be on
1: our Indie Life Extra YouTube channel. Those were such good clips that I put together, Fiona. So mm-hmm. that gets us to the next part of the show. And it's the first part of the interview with Elena Whitam. So here it is. This particular edition is all about uh, immigration, citizenship. And uh, I'm now going to be talking to Elena Whittam, who was elected to uh, Holyrood last year. And she is the MSP for Carrick, Cumnock, and Doon Valley. Thanks very much for coming on the programme, Elena. What we'd like to talk to you about is the background and, and what happened during the debate that took place in, uh, in the Parliament recently about... The UK Borders Bill. It's a Westminster Bill, but there there was a debate happening about it in in Holyrood. So, could you just give people broad background as to you know why some UK bills come up to the devolved parliaments and and some don't?
6: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a, can be a really tricky thing to get your head around. So, the UK and um, Parliament, the Scottish Parliament, both make laws for Scotland. Um, And that's just part of the fact that we're not an independent country um, at the moment. Um, So usually the Scottish Parliament will make laws on issues that are devolved to Scotland and Westminster will make um, laws on issues that are reserved. um, And those are laws that apply to the entirety of the UK. Sometimes the UK Parliament will um, make laws for Scotland on devolved matters, um, what the Scottish Parliament can make laws about. So that's about legislative competence um, and also the powers of the Scottish ministers. So um, they have the ability to do that. And if they do that, um, the, the laws is usually only pass if the Scottish Government gives consent. Um, and most people kind of know this um, as the Sewell Convention. Um, um, so when the Parliament's ready to debate on a memorandum, the Scottish Government um, prepares a legislative consent motion um, and asks the Parliament if it agrees to the UK Parliament to be able to make a bill that applies to Scotland and MSPs can vote on that. And this has got to happen before the bill goes through its last amending stage in the UK Parliament.
1: Oh, right. So it's uh, so it's possibly it can put a stopper on that going through Westminster. Is that right?
6: Sometimes it can, but that really, I think, usually depends on what the Lords are going to do. So sometimes it feels Ah, if the Lords have a lot more power um, than we do in in Scotland in in these matters. Um, And unfortunately, back in 2017, the UK Supreme Court had actually decided um, that the Scottish Parliament doesn't have a legal, enforceable veto. So yeah. this essentially means that um, you know they they can they can decide to overrule um, the, the decisions that we come to in
1: our yeah. Parliament. Yeah. To be fair to the Lords, actually, sometimes I think the Lords are a much more civilised place of debate than the Commons is. They sometimes they'll come up with amendments to bills in the, in exactly the way that um, will uh, certainly me would like to see them doing it.
6: Absolutely, would agree with that and I think sometimes we've seen evidence of that, you know, recently. Um, and we can see that how the Lords have tried to amend this bill um, specifically as well, the the borders. Yes.
1: So it's UK borders and, and immigration, so those are reserve matters, um, but yet yeah, it was debated in, in Holyrood. So
6: the Scottish Government assessed that um, there was two areas with provisions that relate to devolved matters um, and that they would actually have a a negative impact on Scotland. So you've got Clause 49, which is round about age assessments, whether that's refugees or asylum seekers that are coming um, to the UK. Um, And also you have Clause 58, which is round about modern slavery and human trafficking. And it was assessed that um, both of these um, would actually step on devolution so age assessment and we know that you know in in our opinion up here and the opinion is shared by you know if if i think about glasgow health and social care partnership who gave evidence to the social justice and social security committee that um that i convene you know they said they absolutely believe that this will um interfere with with devolution because it's up to those that know these young people well to make these assessments and in their opinion that's our social workers in scotland now social work is completely devolved um, to, to um, Scottish Parliament and Scottish local authorities um, take that, that up on our behalf. And in terms of Clause 58, which is round about modern slavery and human trafficking, that clause actually asks um, that the competent authority making the decision, so if we think about that might be Scottish courts, that could be social work, here that could be the police, they actually have to take account of late provision of information as damaging to a person's credibility. Um, now that's been roundly seen as being um absolutely an abhorrent um, clause to put into this bill. Um, and I think as well and many people agree with me that if we look at this through a gendered lens as well, this disproportionately impacts women. We know that women are trafficked far more often than men, usually into um you know horrible situations so there's there's several reasons why that's is just not um the way to go. So these two clauses, um were agreed by the majority of, of our parliament, except for the, the Conservative benches um in Scotland, that this actually impacted on devolution. Um, so um, we agreed uh, as a parliament that we wouldn't we wouldn't accept this and we would not give the consent that was being requested.
1: Yes. So so as it stands, the bill, those two clauses, does that mean that those assess whether it's age assessment or or, or the impact on the on the modern slavery side? Of, does that mean that decisions would be made about people living up here in Scotland, but the decisions about them would be made by bodies that are based down in in England?
6: Yeah. So the, the first one, um, clause round about um age assessments. The bill creates a national age assessment board, um, which you know they call the NAB. Um, And that means that social workers um, up in Scotland that make decisions around about young people and their care, who are asylum seekers or refugees, they actually have to refer that decision to that assessment board and they have the right to scrutinise it. And they have the right to request different types of determinations, so whether they're looking at things like bone density, x-rays, etc. Um, you know, is, is roundly not seen as, as the right way to go um, and subject to interpretation. And um, they've got the right to overrule um decisions that are made up here by our um, professionals who have that competence to do that. They've been doing it for a long time. You know, our social workers are trusted to do those things. They know these young people best. And um, so, so they've got the right to, to overturn decisions up here.
1: The Modern Slavery Act uh, part of it. How, how is that also decisions being taken elsewhere outside of Scotland?
6: What it means is um the part of that that that's, that we're kind of um to and frone about that we don't agree with is the fact that any late information that's presented by an individual who um is is saying that they are they have been trafficked if it's late coming it has to be seen as a negative and that's going to impact on people's cases
1: when you say late coming you mean added into the argument a bit later, just further on in time.
6: Absolutely. Yes. Now, okay. I, I, you know, I worked for Women's Aid for, for over a decade um, with, with traumatised um, women and children fleeing domestic abuse. And a lot of the time, these things don't come forward until somebody feels comfortable, until somebody feels as if they're believed, they're in a safe place. um, so to actually treat that late coming information as being negative, um, I mean, that, that's just um, a, a disgusting way, frankly, to actually treat people who have experienced some of the most horrific circumstances. And again, disproportionately affecting women.
1: So that's definitely how it seems. it, it seems like it was taken the um oh I don't know, the kind of more care, compassionate-hearted approach to uh, dealing with, you know, what are what are in both cases very difficult situations. If, if the bill goes ahead as it is, actually, that's going to be much less comp- of a compassionate response to people and way of just dealing with people, actually, than, than we could have otherwise. And uh, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? If, you know, to
6: me um, and to the Scottish government, you know, the bill blatantly breaks the UK's international obligations under the UN Convention relating to the Status of Refugees, um, and it. Prop- to change laws to criminalize people who seek asylum on the basis of their mode of travel. So again, that's wrong. You know, the, the bill is set out in such a way that I understand that the desire to break down these rings that they have of, of human traffickers who are, 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 you know, who are trying to, to make money off of getting people over to where people are seeking to be. But this actually makes the UK an outlier. It makes the UK a kind of a pariah to me in terms of the way that. Um, you know, we treat people who are, who are seeking safety, and I think that that's absolutely wrong.
1: Yes, and and it certainly, as you've um, pointed to, it's it certainly had an awful lot of criticism. I mean, even I mean, I was just kind of reading around it a little bit, knowing that we we're going to be uh, talking about it today. But um, you know, I came across a there's a, a five minute um, little video made by uh, a woman who's a UN representative, and and she's just basically pulling the whole thing apart and saying how, how what a bad bill it is. Scottish Law Society, Scottish Refugee Council and, and the Good Law Project people in England, they're all coming out really strongly against it, which um, is quite something. I mean, you do see that happening every now and again, but for such a tranche of the people who really know about what is good practice and all to be coming out about it, that's, uh, that's quite striking. I think. Absolutely. I've,
6: I've got a quote here from you know the UN Special Rapporteur on trafficking in Persons and they've said, if adopted it would seriously undermine the protection of human rights of trafficked persons including children, increased risk of exploitation faced by all migrants and asylum seekers and lead to serious human rights
1: violations. Having mentioned in, in the interview there that the UN spokeswoman has come out and said what she thinks are the huge drawbacks to the UK Borders Bill, we thought We'll let you listen to the whole of what she said. It's not very long, it's about five minutes, really worthwhile listening.
0: This next clip, which we're going to hear, is by Rosala Pagliucci-Lor, who is the UNHCR representative in the UK.
7: The Nationality and Border Bill that is uh, entering its final stages in Parliament uh, uh, is cause of great concern to us. Uh, uh, among other things, uh, it uh, establishes a two-tier refugee status that risks leaving the overwhelming majority of refugees coming to the UK without proper set of rights according to the convention. The vast majority would be, of course, uh, individuals who would arrive uh, after having traveled sometimes for weeks or months of land and having crossed through uh, various countries would be generally deemed by the government to be, uh, to fall into uh, Group 2. Being in Group 2 would have uh, uh, far-reaching consequences for the individuals concerned. Uh, group 2 refugees uh, would be denied social benefits unless destitute, they would be denied family reunion, uh, they would be kept in a situation of enforced precariousness. If this bill were to be implemented you could easily imagine uh, refugees being recognised and receiving no assistance. How would they survive? Uh, Finding a job? Nobody finds a job uh, that allows them to support themselves uh, uh, within within a short period of time. You could for example have single mothers unable to access uh, publicly funded crashes and therefore being unable to work. You could think about uh, Children being denied the school meals, so where those are dependent on, on the benefits that the parents receive. We are very concerned that the Nationality and Borders Bill will, be, uh, will breach international law and will cause a huge amount of personal suffering in people who are guilty of no more than seeking asylum. Contrary to popular belief, uh, uh, the vast majority of people do not want to come to the UK or to Europe for that matter. The overwhelming majority of refugees remain in the countries neighbouring their own, that's about 75%, and close to 90% remain within their own regions. So those who actually travel further afield, coming to Europe or to the UK, are actually a very small number. The Refugee Convention does not require refugees to seek asylum in the first safe country they encounter. And it does not allow states to discriminate between the refugees depending on the way of arrival. Under the refugee law, an asylum seeker is not illegal if he enters into a country and presents himself to the authorities. Uh, but, uh, but of course, uh, if, you, if, you are, if, you are, if you are breaking the law by simply arriving, That means that you've broken a law before you even meet the official. And theoretically, you could get four years for that. The vast majority has no choice but travelling through unsafe routes. Most people uh, do not realise that it's virtually impossible uh, to take a plane and come to the UK or indeed to many other countries in order to seek asylum. And we know that where family reunion is not allowed anymore, we will see more women and children taking the dangerous routes in order to reunite with their families. International law lives or dies by state's willingness to comply with it and to hold each other accountable for it. The convention aims to provide protection to persons fleeing persecution and to allow them to integrate in new countries of asylum, essentially to rebuild their lives in safety somewhere else. The refugee convention was open to signature in 1951. And it is a a fundamental instrument aiming to protect those people who are forced to flee by persecution. It remains a very relevant instrument today because, of course, uh, well, persecution is unfortunately very much the experience of so many people in the world. We do have a problem, however, with certain kinds of arrangements uh, that are meant really to essentially allow wealthier countries uh, to offload the asylum seekers and the refugees on uh, countries that, are, that usually have far, far more refugees and far fewer resources. But these are often programs that aim at deterring refugees from going to the richer countries and in our experience they've often been shown to result in refugees being really shunted in uh, very, very dire, living conditions and very often in situations where their human rights were very severely threatened. A better way to address the asylum system, we believe, would be working on making the procedures faster and more effective with a view to ensuring that refugees are quickly identified and uh, helped integrate, while those who have no protection-related reasons can be returned to their own countries. It's also necessary to have an agreement with France and the European Union to ensure that those who do not have legitimate reasons to seek asylum in the UK may be returned there.
1: To carry on with the interview with Elena, the next part of the conversation that we have with her, she's just talking about the distinctions between refugees, migrants, and indeed expats. And Helena, as a young girl, went with her family over to Canada. So she has some experience of what it's like to move from one country to another. Here she is.
6: So this isn't just SNP parliamentarians up in parliament taking a position for possession's sake. This is cross-party except for the Conservatives. And this is from, you know, so many segments of civil society you know, society, as you've already mentioned, and, you know, that that's why, you know, it, it beggars belief that even if it's amended by the Lords, it's still going to pass because, unfortunately, it doesn't matter what the, the Scottish government, the Welsh government say, if, you know, if we, if we withhold consent, that does, that's not necessarily binding for them.
1: Yes, that's what I was going to ask next, actually, because that, that vote in, in Holyrood, I mean, it was, it was, it was 94 to 29 and, as you said, the twenty-nine are all members of the Scottish Conservative Party. So they were voting therefore to consent to it. Yourselves, uh, Labour Party, Lib Dems were all voting to withhold giving consent. And and obviously that well, I think that vote has a you know it carries a sort of symbolic weight. Yeah. Um but will it make any difference?
6: No, unfortunately, if they if they choose um to proceed with it, they have the numbers within you know Westminster Parliament that that they'll they'll be able to pass it. Again, it's whether we can, you know, whether the Lords get amendments through that that are going to help. But, you know, this is a Conservative government that's pandered to that anti-immigration rhetoric for so long. And, you know, that we, we know that that's been made worse since Brexit. You know, they're hiding behind, a, you know, their rationales that's going to make the system fairer and more effective so we can better protect and support people in genuine asylum um, need to deter illegal entry and to remove those with no rights to be here. But underneath all of that, to me, there's a, a, a real xenophobia and you know I think if we if we juxtapose that with what we're seeing just now in terms of the outpouring rightfully in my opinion of welcoming people from Ukraine here to me that just paints a picture as and it will pick and choose who we feel um is worthy of, of, of um, seeking refuge here um, and, and and I don't think that's right I think we need a system that's actually designed to to recognize everybody that, that needs a place of safety. Um, and that plays our, our part on the, on the whole world stage in terms of that. We all have obligations, and that's why we have refugee treaties across the world um, in light of the Second World War. So this bill stamps all over all of that.
1: This government down in the UK, it's got a bit of a habit of ignoring UK treaties. I mean, it's obviously ignoring the one about refugees. It's, it's um, also ignoring the one about um, nuclear arms proliferation one as well, by kind of my, you know, going ahead and getting more nuclear warheads in place. So it probably, yeah. There's a a symbolic kind of weight to that vote in Hollywood, and also, I mean, there was a similar vote down in Cardiff um, yeah. as well. Also, also withdrawing consent, but it, it looks like it will go ahead anyway, yeah, because they've got they've got the votes in the in the voting lobbies. You know, there is a problem down in the Channel. There's a problem. I mean, the problem isn't necessarily the refugees themselves wanting to come in, but the way that they're brought in, and, and those kind of obviously people that made loads of money by. Bringing them over in boats and endangering people's lives. I mean, you can see there's a problem that needs to get tackled. Do you think there's another way of, of doing it? It's,
6: it's difficult because sometimes we treat people in different ways. So we can, you know, there's a, a rhetoric around about people being migrants. And a lot of these people are migrants for perhaps economic reasons, but also for conflict. And they seem to get lumped into one, you know, one pot. So if I think about my own family, so I'm, I'm a dual national, I'm a Canadian and, um, you know, a Scot. And um we went to Canada when I was six, and we went to Canada when I was sick as, six as sex as economic migrants because of Margaret Thatcher's policies. So, you know, um my, my dad listened to the calls from Canada, they needed metallurgist engineers, and away we went. Um, but it's different, I think, sometimes because I'm called an expat. And I I you know that that that's roundabout the way that we actually sometimes have that xenophobic look around the world. Um, so if we if we think about you know the UK having lifted the drawbridges in terms of of their immigration policy. There's no other way for people to get here sometimes than by those me- those methods that they're using, because the UK has a kind of a, a belief system whereby they need to claim asylum or you know in the first country they arrive into. Well, you know, unfortunately, these countries have taken far more than you know than their 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 share of people who are in these circumstances, and we in this country. If we still want to call the UK a country, we've got to take our share of people who are seeking asylum. Um, after all, you know, I think we we've sent the most people around the world ourselves, right? So there's there's a yeah. the, the moral um, argument about it. So I think all of the the rhetoric and all of the hostile immigration policies that have um, been employed over these last decades have actually led us to this point and they've created that system whereby people are having to put themselves into the hands of traffickers and put themselves on boats and put themselves in danger. So for me, Priti Patel, to you know, to turn around and say that she's trying to do something to address this and and break these gangs, they created the gangs.
1: Yeah, sort of even more galling and ironic, given Priti Patel's own family background of coming, you know, the family moving here from Uganda.
6: Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm hyper aware of that myself, you know, yeah. you know, being a dual national and being a, a migrant. Um and I'll always call myself a migrant because I think that we the more that people, you know, recognize that, you know, we weren't expats, we weren't, you know, we weren't extending the empire or whatever people want to see it as. We were seeking, you know, economic betterment because of the situation we had at home. And that's a lot of that's reflected in, in some people that, that we see seeking the same thing um, nowadays, but we just don't treat them the same way.
0: Now we're going to go over to Mohammed Asif, who was one of the speakers at the Paisley All Under One Banner Mm -hmm. March. And Mohammed came to this country as a refugee. He shares his experience of what that's like in a way that we just can't comprehend, I think, unless you've been in that situation. So let's have a look and see what Mohammed said at Paisley.
8: Thank you, brothers and sisters. Firstly. On behalf of my family and the family of independence, let's send our support and solidarity to the people of Ukraine. Brothers and sisters, I can feel the pain of Ukrainians because when Putin was only 27 years old and the USSR invaded my country, Afghanistan, with the Red Army, killed 1.9 million Afghans Destroyed our country until today, we are suffering because of Russia. So, when I see the women and children, especially running for shelter from Putin bombs, it reminds me of my childhood when we did the same running away from the Russian bombs. But, brothers and sisters, there is a hypocrisy with the Western world. I saw Boris four days ago calling Putin a war criminal. No doubt about it, Boris Putin is a war criminal. He's a mass murderer. But there is a man maybe 10 or 15 miles away living from Boris Johnson called Tony Blair, who killed one million Iraqis along with Bush and NATOs. And that man is not, not called war criminal but we do not have to be selective. Brothers and sisters, today an independence is even more important when we see the war in Ukraine. I came to this country as a refugee from Afghanistan, running away from the likes of Taliban. The British went to war, and many Scottish kids were killed, and I took part in their funerals in Scotland. But 20 years later, Boris and Biden handed over Afghanistan to the same terrorists or the bunch of barbaric killers, Taliban. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about refugees, I have every sympathy with the Ukrainians because I have been true in my life, my family, my parents, my relatives, my country women, and children. But when we talk about refugees, we do not have to be selective. When the Western politicians, the media, the major media and pundits calling the Ukrainians civilized. Yes, they are civilized because they are human beings, and they are telling us that we are the Iraqis, the Syrians, the Libyans, the Afghans are uncivilized, as though our life is very, very cheap. We have been bombed for many, many years by NATO, by the Russians, by the Americans. Brothers and sisters, we need an independent Scotland which says no to illegal wars, which says no to illegal invasion, which says no to nuclear no weapons, which says no to Trident, which welcomes everybody like myself who is a new Scot, although I'm getting old in this country now, I have been here for 22 years. When Britain and the right-wing media and the Tories come on television blaming asylum seekers for every problem in Britain, brothers and sisters, If we want less refugees, Britain and NATO, Putin and others should bomb less countries. Welcome refugees in Scotland because they are just human beings just like me and you. I gave you one example. Let's think, you know, one and a half or two years ago. Did we not fight for a pack of pasta? Did we not fight for a packet of paracetamol or over a toilet paper? because we wanted to protect our children, we want to feed our children. So the same is with refugees. When the bombs are dropping in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya, and Syria, when the British bombs made in Scotland, killing innocent Yemeni women and children, especially in Yemen. The Saudis, the biggest weapons buyer from Britain, is killing innocent women and children in Yemen, the weapons made in Scotland. You know, Scotland needs to stop this. Scotland needs to divorce this abusive marriage. So let's fight. Keep the fight. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: It's, a, it's complex. It's As Mohammed said, though,
1: you know, if we want to stop the tide of refugees, maybe we should stop bombing their countries. That's a pretty telling thing to say to those Western countries that have been, been doing that. So to finish off the interview, I asked Elena, What's her future vision for Scotland? What is it that she'd really like to be part of making happen for Scotland, and in particular about citizenship and immigration? This programme in the Jigsaw, uh, Elena, we, we, may, we have some, one basic assumption that, that the programme's built on, and that is that by the end of 2023, Scots will have voted to regain our independence. So if that was to happen, Um, I'm not even going to cross my fingers because, you know, we can make it happen. If that was to happen, uh, there you are, an MSP now uh, sitting in Holyrood. You you would be part and parcel of the first independent parliament over there with with actually an awful lot of work to do. I mean, I can uh, understand that. But but just to to keep on the the subject of, of immigration, what basic approaches to citizenship, immigration, how to treat asylum seekers would... Would you like to see our independent country developing and taken forward over the next, I don't know, take a while, won't it, but decade?
6: I mean, we can already see, I think, shoots of, of that, that kind of system that we want. So where we do have the power, we've extended the right to vote you know so we've extended the right to vote to people who are 16 but we've also extended the right to vote to people who are here for whatever reason right so if they're here as asylum seekers if they're here as refugees if they're here we're treating them as new scots and we're extending that right to vote for them so you know a lot of these people are now going to be able to vote in the upcoming um council elections which i'm, I'm quite passionate about people getting registered to vote so that shows you just the kind of model of a system that we're looking to have I was a community um, well-being spokesperson for the Convention of Scottish Local Authorities for a number of years and actively tried to engage the UK government in terms of allowing Scotland to have some devolution of immigration policy and powers because we know that, you know, our occupation shortage list, so where we need people to come into Scotland is very different than what it is in the rest of the UK. And it can vary greatly between Scotland as well. So what you know, we maybe need down here in Ayrshire is maybe going to be very different to what they need in, in you know, Highlands area, etc. So I've always argued that we should have our own shortage occupation list, um, and we should be able to have people into Scotland in a different way. So that that already works like that in Canada. You know, the provinces within Canada, they, they can actually decide in a different way how they want to treat immigration. So in an in independent Scotland, I think we look, we we have the ability to look at that and shape it ourselves. And um, we have the ability to say, you know, we're going to recognise um, the refugee treaties that are around the world and actually, you know, play our role in helping people um to to get to a place of safety and to become new Scots because we have a new Scots strategy here and it's very different to the rest of the UK and that is led by you know the Convention of Scottish Local Authorities migration team they are just fantastic in doing that work and local authorities up and down the country have worked with the Scottish government and to make people as welcome as they possibly can be so I think our system and you know an independent Scotland's immigration system is going to be based around you know human rights Dignity, fairness and respect. And I think that those are things that shine across all the things that we tried to do um, in the Scottish Parliament so far, whether that's social security, whether that's going to be independent Scotland with its own immigration policy. It's not going to be that hostile environment. Um, obviously, it can't just be a free fall. There's going to have to be um, some parameters round about that, but it's certainly not going to be the system um, that's in place at the moment.
1: Do you think we're as good at welcoming immigrants into Scotland as we think we are?
6: I think um, policy-wise, yeah. I yeah. think policy-wise. I think human being-wise and community and, and um, that kind of social discourse way, probably not. There's a huge amount of work that still needs to be done there. I think there's there's still elements of, of uh, xenophobia within Scottish society. We can see that if we look at the cesspit that can be social media. Um, etc. There is still a rhetoric of people who will, you know, say, let's look after our own first. Yeah. But to me, it shouldn't be an either-or. It, you know, we have enough um, you know, capacity for it to be both. It's about us having the full levers of power as an independent nation, like every other normal country around the world, right? Independence is normal. Um, but we choose then what to do with those powers and we choose how to shape that. Um, and I think without one hand tied behind our back, Aye. you know. People, xenophobia is born out of people believing that, you know, their situation is impacted by those that are other. So, you know, we do have deep seated poverty that we're trying to to address. We do have health inequalities. We have all of these things that are legacies from years of of subjugation, basically. You know, Scotland's um, been um, not allowed to be, you know, uh, to, to address the issues that it's needed to address. To turn that boat around, that's like trying to turn the Titanic and um, especially if you don't have all the powers. So I think with independence will come a, a dismantling of xenophobia once we're able to address all of those things in turn. We couldn't um, pretend that we're we're perfect. Policy wise, we're trying to get there. And I think Scots folk will catch up on that um, in terms of, 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 you know, across Scottish society. Um, I, I still think by and large, we're, we're welcoming folk. Um, they're just our pockets of people in there that maybe are just always going to be right wing. But sometimes it's about personal circumstance that colors yeah. the way you yeah. see the world.
1: Yeah. And and then and then so that's the kind of example, the reasoning the way I was thinking, I was also thinking, well, then every now and again, you just get these incredibly heartfelt examples of people. Well, I'm thinking of the one um, was last year, wasn't it, when you know, over on the other side of um, Glasgow from where I am, you know, and uh, the, the Home Office is trying to do its early morning raids and, and the whole streets out there yeah. stopping them. I mean, uh, that
6: gladdened your heart, didn't it? It just yeah. made, me, made me well up at the time. And I, I think yeah. I likened it in my own head to that, you know, when um, you know dawn raids and in, in other circumstances decades ago in, in European countries, but you would have those early warning systems. And that's what happened in Glasgow. There was an early warning system that went out, and then all the message went out, and then everybody was able to amass in the streets to do what they did. Um, and I think that, to me, that shows that solidarity um, that we have with with people who are here seeking a, a country of peace. And, you know, they just want to, to do what we take for granted. And I think all of us are recognizing right now with what's happening in Ukraine that we can't take it for granted. We can't take that, um, the fact that we can go about our lives the way that we choose um, for granted so absolutely, I think that was an an outpouring and a demonstration. You know, basically at at its heart, what Scotland's about.
1: Thinking about the that outpouring that's going on from Ukraine, which is just so tragic. Actually, watching what's happening there, but but let's hope that we manage to. Uh, you know, get uh, some some of those Ukrainians into into Scotland, and uh, I think there are some you know some orphans that are coming into Edinburgh. I think at the moment,
6: Yes, yeah, so orphans from Dnipro are are yeah. um, coming into Edinburgh. And thank goodness the UK government actually allowed that to happen, um, and you know Scottish local authorities will work together with third sector partners, and um, the yes. Scottish government to make sure that they've they've got a, a fantastic welcome. And I just think we can't forget what's happening in Afghanistan. We can't forget what's happening in Yemen.
1: Yemen. We
6: need to remember that there's people around this world um, who are are facing the most horrific situations. Um, And although we know we opened our hearts for Syrian refugees under the resettlement scheme there, um, and we'll do the same just now with you know as a super sponsor if we can be for, for Ukrainian people, but we can't forget the other folk.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming and talking to us. I should have probably said at the beginning of uh, everything this that, you know, our congratulations at having won the constituency and, and, and sitting there in, in Holyrood. And uh, it's great to have a folk like yourself there, uh, Elena. And thanks again thanks. for coming on the programme.
6: Thanks very much for that. And I think the more that we get people with different experiences and women and intersectionality, all of that into our parliaments, that's how we make the best decisions.
1: Uh, yeah, great.
0: Wasn't that a lovely vision for the future? The idea of us being an open and welcoming country um, with humane and compassionate rules is something I can certainly get behind.
1: Yes, indeed. Me too. I, I found that last section of the interview particularly particularly moving. And given what's on our screens at the moment coming from what's happening in Ukraine, it's just even more poignant.
0: And one of the points that came through from most of the speakers at the uh, Stand Up to Racism rally, and I think perhaps Elena made it as well, was why is everybody opening their hearts to you Ukrainians and not Syrians, Yemenis, Afghans, everybody is in that same situation. And this sort of outpouring that we're getting particularly from Westminster, they seem to be taking a much more welcoming
1: line. To be fair, it's also could also point out that for the most part Ukrainians want to go back to Ukraine. They don't want to come over and, and be living, you know, as citizens, no. whether it's you know the UK or Poland or wherever they mm-hmm. they want to get back to their country. So in a way it's not quite the same situation. But I think what it does point out is that there are very, very good reasons why people choose to throw themselves on whether it's small boats or desert journeys, and it's because mm-hmm. their country is isn't working for them I think that raises a broader point that how do we help people in those countries to make those countries a place where they want to go back and you know develop it and help their yeah. fellow countrymen and I mean some of them will want to stay here as well but and and then there's all the other problems just like you know countries that are falling apart because they've, they've fall into the hands of whether it's politicians or warlords or something who, who, are, who are basically mm. in it for themselves
0: so not not an easy one I think Elena acknowledged as well in in her chat there. So, however, we want to be an open and welcoming country. And yes, we might not be able to solve everything straight away, but we can certainly do a better job of it than the current incumbents down the road, I think. And just to finish, a bit of a a lighter note, because these are serious subjects we've been discussing here. There's something that you might have seen if you ever go on Twitter. This is the Scottish citizenship test. (laughs) Do you want to be Scottish? yes or no
1: okay if you yes. Say
0: yes you're in if you say no i you do <laughs> that's it
1: that's it indeed it's good i like that one
0: <laughs> i love that okay so that that's us finishing on a slightly lighter note but thank you very much to our guest this month elena wittem and also to the speakers at the stand up to racism rally you're probably watching this on independence lives youtube channel but there's also a podcast version which is on our podcast channel and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And we've just launched our new podcast website, which is part of the Independence Live website at independencelive.net. So if you'd like to know a bit more about what we do, uh, certainly on the podcast side, please go and check that out. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all again next month. Yes, indeed been listening to the Indie Jigsaw Show, hosted by Fiona McGregor and Marlene Halliday from Indie Life Podcast Team. This is the podcast edit. You can also watch the video version on Independence Live's YouTube channel. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you know anybody you think would enjoy this show, please share it with them. It would be great to get the message out there. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at indielivepodcasters at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.